Hey everyone, Digital Hoos here, and welcome to episode 63 of the Let's Take This Online podcast. I decided to start the beginning of every podcast with a personal thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. You know, you can find Let's Take This Online on Apple, Spotify, Overcast, Podio, and most recently YouTube, where you can actually watch the guests and I discussing whatever we discuss, really. Please do make uh, sure to subscribe, drop that feedback. That feedback is super important to me because it's all about growth and I really want to grow the podcast and getting that feedback from you is very, very important. So whatever channel you're on, please make sure to like, subscribe and drop that feedback. It's very important. And if you want to reach me, you can find me at Digital Hoos on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, everywhere really. That's it guys. Onwards to episode 63 with Farah Birol. Three, two, one, and we're live. Hey, everyone, welcome back to Let's Take This Online with me, Digital Hoos. For those listening on um, YouTube and Apple and Spotify, that intro song is by Menon called Shogun, uh, actually produced by a close friend of mine called Ryan, so shout out to both of them. Amazing song. Um, I'll make sure to put the links uh, in the bottom to both Ryan's channels and um, Menon's channels. Six song, one of my favorites so far. There's a... a podcast that's probably uh over a decade in the making uh, so that's how i'm gonna take it uh it's with a very very close friend of mine known her for over 10 years what, 12 13 14 uh, 2007 2007 so there you go 13 years um 1.3 decades and uh and yeah it's a good friend of mine called farah Biro, who's also a fellow podcaster and actually works on many cool projects i actually wanted to talk to her about Light. <laughs> that's, that's the great thing about going live. Anyway, Farah, thanks for being here. Appreciate uh, you, you know, being online. First of all, how was uh, how was the quarantine life over in Lebanon? Two thousand six, Othman. My bad. <laughs> to be fair, we met in two thousand seven, I believe. I think. Well, we, we we entered university in two thousand. So I graduated ACS two thousand six. I think two thousand six. I think it was summer two thousand six ish no that was yeah. the war and we weren't in AB yet okay fine 2007 Othman, you're wrong <laughs> anyway uh so yeah how's how's life over there in lebanon so in dubai we're kind of quarantined locked down and uh i've just been podcasting this you know spend the time so how are things over there uh well i mean we've been in lockdown for about over a month now yeah. um i think the the plus side to being in a country where most people don't really trust the government anyways is that they take it upon themselves to uh, protect each other. Mm-hmm. So everybody um, everybody kind of already put lockdown in place before the government actually said that we were under lockdown. And then once uh, restaurants and cafes and everything had also been officially shut and it was like an actual uh, countrywide lockdown. Yeah. But we've been sort of um, isolating for about a week before that happened. Okay. Um, it's been all right personally, but on a bigger like national scale, it's a very difficult time because the country's already going through a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going through an economic crisis. That's we right. just recently defaulted on one of our euro bonds, and like, there's there's a lot of stuff going, going on. on. <laughs> uh, we had um, a series of protests and uprisings that started in October. So there's there's been a lot of stuff building up here already and um, a lot of 
challenges, let's say. So the coronavirus is just like another added layer for everyone to uh, maneuver around, which granted we're good at, but um, we don't need to keep proving that, I guess. Um, how so have you been spending the time now in this uh, coronavirus? Any podcasting going on? Yeah, I've, I've been focusing mostly on my uh, wine side gig, side business thing. Yes. Uh, because my main job is a bit stunted right now. Yeah. So, Chris, um, so I'm, I'm focusing mostly on the wine thing. And um, I have one last podcast that I had recorded before lockdown that I'm editing now. It should be out tomorrow. Um, and then I'm just pumping out content as far as like mini episodes based on my own research or doing uh, virtual classes, which I have a second one on Saturday. And then I did a series of smaller private ones for the last like two weeks or so. Um, I'm working on uh, some online panels with people in the industry, not oh, just wine, cool. but like, journalism, uh, so on. That's uh, pretty hospitality. cool. Let's, 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 so start, let's start with the podcast because I, w- I want to spend some time on its own for the wine thing because I find that you know pretty really really interesting. So let's jump on a podcast. Yeah. Uh, how many podcasts do you have? You have two. Um, so I co-host one with okay. Nico and Sonic, uh called The Better Beirut. That's okay. about. Uh, who are doing cool things in the city or country, trying to make it better, fill the gaps where you know the government or the system fails. Yeah. Um, just people showing that there are still people on the ground trying to make it work. Really cool. And then Bacchus is my podcast that like I host, research, and um, edit, produce everything. <laughs> Thank you, myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you got so much so, love. Yeah. So okay, cool. So I wanna. I I never asked you this is how did you kind of get into that podcast you know world I don't think we've ever actually talked about that Um, yeah it was it was definitely like many many other people uh serial was my first introduction to the podcast as far as like how it could be a storytelling device beyond uh interviews but also um, you know, narrative storytelling, very much like the Hakawati uh, tradition of like Arab um, storytelling. But like, I wasn't really a podcast like fan or anything, although I know it's been around, you know, especially sports fans know this, it's something that's not a new medium, but it only recently boomed and now everybody wants to start a podcast because it's just so easy to do, or at least it appears to be at first. Look, in terms of actually um, starting, it's not hard. I mean, all you do is literally like any basic mic. Yeah. But then if you really get into it, then it comes to consistency and then content and then doing the right. editing. And that's where really I think podcasting gets a bit – it's easier to start and harder to maintain. That's why I kind Absolutely. Of- consistency, that I think, is the hardest yeah. part is trying to always hit that release date yep. and always um, reach the same level, if not better. And every time you hear a podcast, you're like, oh, how did they do that effect? How did they do that? How did they get the rights to that? How did, like <laughs> – there's always um, a bit of that, like, uh, creative, uh, not envy, but like, oh, I want to do that, like goals, you know. Um, and yeah, it's definitely something that it seems easier in the beginning. And they, yeah. I've heard that, like, seven episodes is the mark where a lot of podcasts just, like, fall off. Yeah. Um, they eventually just lose the momentum and they're like, yeah. forget too much work. Uh, it's definitely, definitely the editing, I think, that takes so much time. Yeah. On my part, I fall down way too many tangents and just like end up, you know, just in the researching and stitching together, I end up finding really cool fun facts that just take me on a whole other 
um, journey. And then I have to kind of like pull myself back and be like, wait, this is what you're talking about this time. Yeah, I, I got, I got, for me, is I kind of found a way to maneuver editing. But now, I, now in my current situation, I have to now plunge into that uh, into that pool. I've been, I've been basically dodging since the beginning of the podcast. So what I did is I basically just release all the content the way it is, leave it as, as raw as it is. I do because I have a soundboard, so I do all my editing on the soundboard on the spot. But then I don't have to do anything afterwards. But now with this, and now I'm going to have to now I have to dive into that. I'm a bit, a bit worried about it. A bit worried about it because yeah. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing upping the quality it's okay it's a learning <laughs> i mean luckily we're we're stuck at home and we have time to kind of experiment that's yeah. that's what i've been this for it's like okay right now we don't really know when this is going to stop or when we're going to be um able to kind of move around freely again so um i don't want to say like oh you have so much time to do whatever you want no it's definitely a very stressful time right now yeah but you do at least feel like the, there's a little less pressure or maybe you're a bit more aware of how much you've been forcing yourself to constantly put out stuff and constantly work yeah. and constantly. So it's, it's been kind of like, a, yeah. okay. You, um, you kind of go through a approach. So what I did is I kind of hoarded content, right? So I kind of record as much as I could. And I always yeah. have a, like I, I still to today have content from 2019. I have yet to release. I need to actually release because those people are probably been waiting for many, many months. And sorry, sorry to all of them, but uh, so that's kind of how the way I went about it. I just thought I know myself because if I'm going to do one a week and then release that week, I'm never going to keep up. I'm just I know I know how I'm going to do. So I kind of like all right, cool. I'll take a Saturday, nine a.m., six p.m., record nonstop, and then I'll have three, four episodes every week, ready to go. That's kind of my approach I took. But do you ever worry that like the content in that case? Um, like goes stale after too long. Like you're talking about something that's very timely, and then mm. eventually, Sometimes, once it's out, I, I, I do think about it. But a lot of times, it's about the person and what I try to learn from that person, right? So, well, I don't feel it is. Uh, now, obviously, for example, on one of my podcasts called The Tangent, we recorded a, a episode on coronavirus. I had to release it as soon as possible, be you know relatable right. to the times. I couldn't wait like a year from now to release. So, I'm kind of winging it as I go and just learning, I guess. So. How, how do you go about actually uh, researching and creating the content for a better Beirut? Because there's a lot of work that so, goes into this one. Yeah, actually, so I have to give credit to Nico, our producer. I feel like he does the, the heavy lifting in that one because he's the editing yeah. uh, department. So he has to cut up all our uhs and just like pieces <laughs> yeah. of paper to make it beautiful. Um, Samir and I were the hosts and we kind of bounce off of each other. Yeah. Um, but as far as like what it takes prep preparation wise is more, um, we kind of use our own network and um, just going to different events and meeting people very randomly. Luckily Beirut is quite a small city. Yeah. Um, and once you've met a few of the really like active people, you, you end up meeting a lot of their friends who also happen to be really yeah. active people. Um, who are, Everybody's working on some kind of project or some kind of thing. So once you've broken into that, it's, easy to be connected to other people who are also doing something cool and yeah luckily it's really the like the degrees of separation in this country are nothing yeah. so it's not too hard to reach somebody that's doing something interesting or get connected uh it's just a matter of getting them on the podcast and then i think the hardest part, because we do it very like fluid we just bring them in and we start talking to them and we start asking them questions we do a little bit of research just to know like who we're talking to but not too much so that you come with like loaded questions or this um you know idea that 
people who are tuning in already know what you're talking about. So you want to stay a little bit um, uninformed almost, just so yeah, that your curiosity is still uh, genuine. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard to, um, I think the hard part about it is that usually these people, not all the time, will they be your friends? They'll be people you've just met. Mm. So you have to kind of, um, break that barrier uh, beforehand. Yeah. But also not talk about all the cool stuff until you start recording. So <laughs> there is that, um, that like 20 minutes, I'd say, of people just kind of like getting disarmed, I guess, yeah. and feeling comfortable again. And, and like, you know, like you and I, we've known each other for years. So whatever, just I'm fall. just going to talk. Yeah. yeah there's, like, no re- there's no reservations. We just talk. Exactly. I feel like a lot of the episodes that I've done with people who I've either met already or know, uh, we have that kind of like yeah. dynamic. It's easy. Do, do you ever get someone where, have you ever done, I always wonder about this because the way I kind of do it, I get my guests in. I, do, I barely do any pre-work on my guests, so I don't want to know much about them. So I kind of just get them in. We sit down, record right away, and we kind of just jump into it. Do you ever, do you ever like, do you do any kind of like, just when you sit down, you do like maybe 10 minutes? Um of just talking, try to break the ice, or you also kind of just record as quick as possible and you just kind of go with it? So in the beginning, we did just kind of go with it from the, like, just we started recording and then we realized that we do need to kind of like uh, soften the vibe, um, at least with people we don't really know. Um, So we'll end up talking about ourselves a little bit just to, so they know who we are, but we also don't lose any like key nuggets of their story because they'll end up saying like a really cool anecdote. You'll be like, wait, 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 no, we need that for the pod. Like, don't, don't tell us all of that yet. So, um, there's that balance of trying to keep the, the content high Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Cool. Fair enough. It's. I kind of, I don't know why, because... The wine podcast is a very different thing, though. Yeah, yeah I want to I wanna get into it in a bit. I don't know, but I wanted to get, talk about this. I don't know why. I I find it, because in, in, in life, I find it that when you meet someone, you kind of have to kind of go through the awkward phase to kind of break the ice and all that. So I like getting that on, on camera. I like getting that on a podcast. I don't know. It, it, it just It's just kind of the way I like to go about it. Maybe not everyone likes it. And, and usually, like, the flow of my podcast, I do feel the flow probably gets better, like, 10 minutes in, because in the beginning, it's just... Hey, tell me about it. Especially, and especially if you have a guest who is so hard to like get anything out of. I've had guests who have to pull. I have to pull. Like I'm, I'm asking you to talk about yourself, and I feel I have to pull from them. And it's like oh, I wish, like I wish it was a bit easier. But we, they, they, they kind of open up. Then 15 minutes in, but I'm like, you know, what? I'm gonna keep the first 15 minutes because that's that's the reality of of life, right? Are most guests, like they're they're online people, they're promo people, or yeah, is it also that a lot of them? are not used to being in the public sphere? Like, which one of it? Uh, the thing is, it's a, bit, it's a mix of both, right? So I, uh, at first, mine was very media-oriented, market-oriented, so the people I got were people that, for example, dealt with clients and presented and all that. But then once I started transitioning away from that and I started getting authors, right? Now, now authors, a lot of them, for example, are introverted, right? Even though they love to write. So then that's a bit different. And you start getting different kinds of people that's where I started really getting a very mix of personalities. And but then I started to feel that my strength as a presenter improved. Like I started improving as a, as a speaker, as a interviewer, if you want to call it. Yeah. And, and I think I've, I hope I'd like to think I've gone better. I think if I do look at episode one, then I look at episode 60, I do feel there's a, there's a, there's a drastic change. Okay. Cool. Let's get into the second podcast. Yeah. 
That's a B for Bajos, spelled B-A-C-C-H-U-S. Okay, cool. That's completely uh, hosted on your own solo show? Yeah. Um, so that was, I think that was partially because I, I got used to the medium as far as uh, being on a better Beirut. It had been about a year already uh, with that podcast. And I felt like I was interviewing people and meeting really cool people in the wine world. And it just felt a little selfish to not be able to share that with people. Okay. Um, okay. It, wasn't, it wasn't like, I, I originally had thought that this is what I wanted to do with Beef or Bacchus. Originally, I thought it should be a podcast. And then I went into doing classes. Okay. But then back to the original idea of turning it into a podcast. Uh, and I felt like you could get more people listening, more people tuning in, more people to learn about everything that's going on here in the wine industry. And not just Lebanon, it had to be beyond just Lebanon. So like it had to be regional. Levant or the Middle East in general? Uh, Mediterranean and the Caucasus. So kind of like our little bubble here that is where wine began, but nobody's really talking about it. It's much more, it's always focused on Europe, it's focused on California but you don't get enough attention on that's true where it's it always when you hear one you hear italy france south africa yeah, yeah I think that's relatively new it's always been very euro, euro focused um well, where, where did the name come from uh the name is um so uh b for bacchus bacchus is the roman god of wine also known as dionysus in greek mythology is he the one that's always uh, shown as a person always covered with grapes and drinking goblets of wine debauchery yeah he's he's like the symbol of uh hedonism and yeah. you know like just living it, it, life. Have you ever watched futurama bits and pieces all right uh, there's there's a there's a robot in there called hedonist bot i think is based <laughs> on that roman guy because he's, he's he's in a chair covered always in wine and then he's covered in grapes and then drinking i assume is you know, engine yeah, that's, oil that's but in a, in a in a type of wine so yeah, yeah so that sounds and then the, the B in the name comes from the different regions that are associated with wine in Lebanon all happen to start with the letter B, like uh, the Ka'a Valley, Batrun, Hamdun, Iblos, Beirut. So there, oh, it that's was just- so interesting. Is that just a happy coincidence? Yeah, it's some, just something I noticed when I was trying to think of a name for this whole thing. That's very cool. And so I went with that. And then when I started the podcast, I thought, obviously, I should just keep it under the same umbrella. So I called it B for Bacchus as well. Um, and it's been really cool because I have an excuse to go meet these people and talk to them, but then also share their story. And then I go home and I do more research on certain things we talked about and I piece it all together. So it's been a lot of work on my part as far as like the editing process, yeah. not the interviewing process, because I'm trying to, you know, fact check and then also add little nuggets of info that you can learn. Um, and then also explain things that maybe people aren't really uh, familiar with when they're listening to something about wine, maybe they don't know all the technical terms. So I have to make sure that it's understandable even by a novice yeah. who just drinks bread or whatever. Um, yeah. Question, why wine? Like, have you always had like a kind of love for it and like but more for the creation? Like it's, yeah. it's interesting why you chose this topic. Yeah, no, it was it was never something I was um, that into. It was actually very surprising. It was by accident. Um, my main job is I work for my family. We have a um, supermarket that specializes in American imports. So it's like the Costco of Lebanon, everything, you know, big box store size kind of thing. And when we opened our new branch, uh, that's when I joined my dad to help with promo the promotion of, you know, we're opening a new branch, blah, 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 this new chapter. Uh, I was coming from an advertising background as an art director. 
And he was like, okay, you handle the alcohol and wine section. And I was like, I don't Ooh. know anything. <laughs> about uh, I go to a bar and I order gin or red, you know, like right. I, I don't know anything about the process, how it's made, how, like, what's the difference? He's like, Shubadda. <laughs> of course typical like Love arab dad like whatever you'll figure it out um and i quickly realized within a few weeks of working the floor and trying to help customers that i didn't know anything and when people would come and ask like oh i'm looking for something fruity oh i'm looking for blah 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 i wouldn't know how to direct them so i started taking a few basic classes a few you know intro things how to differentiate between different wines. And I got hooked. I just, I, I kept taking more and more classes. I just, That's so interesting. So you, you, it started out because you wanted to be more educated to serve customers. Yeah. From there. yeah, yeah. It, was, it was purely like functional. And then um, through learning about it, I saw that like there weren't enough people talking about the region. There weren't enough people talking about Lebanon in specific, but also the region itself. As I want far to as ask you about that because when you look at, look at other regions and the way they kind of, <laughs> I, like, I like most comment, because when Farah decides to learn about something, she makes sure she becomes the best <laughs> at it. That's nice. I agree. I used to work for him, so yeah. he knows. <laughs> <laughs> so the way I kind of look at it, when you look at the other brands out there, I kind of look at it from the marketing side. I see the way they market and the way they kind of promote is very different. Like I feel in, the, in, in our region, when it comes to beverages, we kind of play the distributor game. Right, I create a product, I put it in a supermarket, and then when the customers buy, they buy. I think that's kind of how they focus on. But when then you look at, I'm gonna take this. I think Gary V, for example, he did this empathy wine, right? He markets the hell out of it, right? And he goes yeah. direct to consumers. So when people do go to that distributor channel or, or supermarket, it pings in their head. So do you feel that because the the the, the way we kind of sell and mar uh, market it is so distributor heavy, I'll just put it on a shelf. That way, that's why people don't talk about it enough because they just don't even think about it. So I think that is really dependent on where you're talking about because okay. every country has its own laws as to how you can distribute your product and where you can put it. You know, like in the States, it's a very complicated system based on the prohibition laws that are still kind of, they're still active till now in certain okay, states. Sure, I didn't know that. State level and federal level, so it's very complicated. Mm. In Lebanon specifically, some wineries work direct; they they handle all the you know off trade, on trade, but some also go with distributors. But I think the downside with working with distributors is that you are competing with a bunch of other products at the same time, and yeah. you might not focus that to the same extent that you would if you were marketing the product yourself. Yeah. Um, obviously there is a big cost behind you being your own distribution company sure. but like in-house advertising you know like yeah you're gonna understand the product and market it correctly and you're going to control the channel and where it goes and everything or you're going to hand it to someone else and kind of um delegate it so you can focus on other things um there are pluses and minuses you know being in a distribution company you also get direct access as far as many different points of sale so you already like you have a way in mm -hmm. rather than going one by one and having to work yeah. in that sense. Well, th there are like goods and bad, good and bad things about both. Mm -hmm. But I think um, it also depends just on your relationship with your distributors um, yeah. and the size of your operation. So some 
wineries can afford to do it themselves and they can afford to like flood particular markets with their products so other smaller ones may not even show up or not stand a chance in comparison um and then others just don't have the capacity they're just much smaller i don't know if i answered no, i think i think you answered it perfectly um for me i i just, I just wish because obviously I think I think the products that they're selling the, the the wine I think from the region is great, right? Compared, I think it's I think product wise, I think it competes with the the biggest other markets, right? Quality, in terms of taste and all that. I I love it, right? Um, you know, and I try to try different ones. You know, every time you know, the wife we try to you know French to Italian, and I'm, I always find myself you know diverging back to Lebanon. So I think the the, the product is solid. I just wish mm-hmm. the marketing aspect of, of them is. is that's, that's how I look at it. I look at it from a very media oriented marketing oriented. Like I would love, like I would love, for example, is for like a winery, for example, uh, you know, for one to like have its own podcast. Yeah. yeah that'd be cool. I mean, or like, or like, or like a video series, right. Or something like that behind the scenes yeah. series. That's just even, right. even fine. It doesn't have a direct ROI. Maybe you can't directly see, oh yeah, this means people clicked from the video and went and bought, but it'll definitely have a top of mind uh, awareness or reach later on down the line. And I think this is where maybe maybe they're old school in in our region. No, I, I think um, I think they're getting better at it. Okay. A few wineries that are somewhat larger as far as um, just operation and production and like volume, they do work with actual agencies, so they okay. have the like a media agency. Actual agencies. Yeah. Okay. Um, a few with like the big agencies across the region. So it's not that they don't know. It might be a budget thing. It might be just like. I mean, you've worked with clients, you know how it is. It's, it's not always the idea and they sign off on it. Um, I think yeah. there's, when it comes to distribution, there's also like the issue of, you, if you have to work around the different laws in a specific country yeah. and you get your product to them, um, for you to continuously get um, restock orders, you have to kind of push it on the consumer end. So if the consumer isn't asking for your product, yeah. then the distributor is not going to restock from you. So you've got one order, but that doesn't mean they're going to come back. So I think what's missing in the chain is wineries or whoever coming in and making sure that the consumers are asking for these products so that the circle continues, so okay. that the distributors go back to the wineries and reorder. And okay, okay. a lot of wineries feel like that's not my responsibility. It should be the distributor to do that. And this is a problem like across FMCG is, you know, who pays for the marketing of this item? Do you do 50-50 with the, the source, with the manufacturers, with the producers? Uh, or do you handle it all by yourself because خلص, you bought the product from them and now it's yours? Um, it depends on like how much money you have. I would, to- I would treat it like automotive, right? So the way the automotive works here, you'll have a mother brand and then you'll have the dealer. The dealer does more promotional messaging, tactical. Hey, we have this much discount. You get this insurance, whatever. While the brand, well, the mother company, the OEM, the manufacturer, they do the branding. That's how I would go about it, right? So I'll have the winery do the branding and let the let the distributor do the tactical stuff, right? That's how I, that's how I would approach it. I think at least for Lebanon specifically, uh, the problem with that model is that it's so small. Hmm. So a distributor, if they're going to think, oh, I'm going to put my money behind Gallo or whoever, like a big brand that can produce, you know, millions and millions of bottles and bring in a lot more revenue, then I'd rather put my promotional budget on that 
then put it on Lebanon, who because is it gives tiny me the ass. ROI. Yeah, the tiny ass producer who's, you know, like they they can't keep up. They, even if I can bring in uh, a profit on what I sell from them, I'm, I can bring in way more if I put it behind, you know, some Italian producer or something like that. Oh, yeah, because for so, them, they care about the, they care about the sale. Whatever sells more, they'll put more. They're not going to care about oh, I'm going to help this company just because it's from my country right. or whatever. I'm going to I'm going to care about I'm going to care about what, again, what sells. Yeah, yeah. It goes back to the consumer again. If you have more people asking for it, then the distribution company will be more willing to start putting more money yeah. behind it. And so it's just a constant cycle. If you don't have that, um, I mean, now people are getting more and more interested in uh, regions they haven't heard of or countries yeah. that are producing. They've never really tried. They're becoming a little more adventurous. Um, to be fair, a lot of these things, a lot of the you know imported wines become super expensive. Mm. So yeah. it's there's always money involved in this. Do, um, do, do the governments of the region do they subsidize local producers to try and make them more competitive against the uh, importers? In Lebanon? Yeah. Uh, we don't. We don't. <laughs> We don't have any kind of, uh, you know, subsidizing, whether it's for wine equipment or I know that, um, so there's a private group called the UVL, Union Vinicole du Liban, a couple of wineries, uh, well, more than a couple, like almost over 50. They um, work together as far as doing promotional events and trying to um, go to, let's say, a trade show under the Lebanese pavilion. So they go as Lebanon altogether, rather than each one going alone and not showing up in a hall of 30,000 exhibitors, they are like one strip of wine of Lebanon. Yeah. So it's much more invisibility in that sense. And they do get a bit of help from the government, but yeah. not nearly enough. Uh, it's another thing that is majorly um, privately funded, and that's a huge problem when you're talking about a national product. Yeah. Um, because it's a product that is kind of like a good ambassador for Lebanon, you know, like it yeah. shows this other side. Um, so I don't think it gets enough support, but I mean, that's kind of the case across the board, yeah. especially with agricultural production in Lebanon. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite bad because it's such a fertile place and we can produce so much if that sector was actually developed better, but it wasn't. And how when you when you approach uh, people in the industry and talk about podcasting now podcasting is maybe new to to people especially in the Middle East yeah. right I mean competitive penetration when you compare it to the U S or Europe how are how's the reception are they are they interested in it do they go like what's the do you have to do the whole like education of what a podcast is how's how's that yeah. going yeah, yeah well, it's definitely still more on that side where you're still trying to explain what it is um, and there's still a bit of resistance as far mm-hmm. as admitting that. They don't know what it is or they haven't heard of it. They rather just say like, oh, I'm not really into that. Um, so there's there's a bit of that like, I'm not going to admit I don't know something. It's and a, it's fine. It's the ego. I love it. I mean, a lot of people didn't know what they were not too long ago. So it's yeah. not that weird. Um, but like regionally, uh, KSA and UAE are way ahead of us as far as, you know, audience um, yeah. and listeners. Um, but they're much more on the Arabic side. And I think Lebanon would still also be the case. Yeah. Um, from the podcast, I do know there is more English, I think, podcasts, bit yeah. of Dan. Uh, but there are now a lot of Arabic ones also popping up. Is yours pure English um, or kind of, do you kind of mix it? No, mine is English. Uh, just because ever, ever my own background. Yeah. I, I got asked a lot, do you ever, you should, like, because if you look at, if you look at pure podcast numbers, 
you have like mm-hmm. tens of thousand English and then a few hundred in Arabic. People tell me you should do it in Arabic just to capitalize on an audience. I'm like, yeah, but uh, you, you do not want to see me stuttering on a podcast or the, you choose the right word. I wish I could um, communicate to the same degree in yeah. Arabic. Okay. But, um, I mean, I'm, I'm fine speaking normally with people, yeah, but conversation, as far as wanting... Yeah. Yeah, and then when it comes to wine, I need to know the right terminology. I need to, you know, actually use correct um, terms yeah. when it comes to specific techniques and whatnot. I don't, I don't know that, those things, um, but I, I totally agree with you. Um, yeah. It's very frustrating because I know that that's an audience that needs to be tapped into, and yeah, I know I it's an audience. That I feel like my content would be interesting for Arabic speakers. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I would do it justice. That's the problem. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. Have you, have you ever reached out to um, you know, experts or anything outside the region? Or you always want to keep it focused? Or do you, maybe you could reach out to an expert, for example, in Europe, but who has like an eye or keeps an eye on the region, for example. Do you ever do something like that? Or those people yeah, are really no, hard uh, to find? I'm not, I'm not against talking to people who are not based here or based yeah. in the region. It has to at least be relative. So I don't want to talk to you know, a producer in uh, Canada or New York or whatever that has nothing to do with the region. Yeah. If they're, for example, let's say it's a producer in um, Napa and they're doing uh, a new wine with techniques from Georgia, yeah. fine. I'll talk to them about that specifically. Okay. But my, my main focus is definitely more regional. So if I'm talking to, like, I wanted to do an episode with a wine director in D.C. because she focuses mm-hmm. on bringing in wines from regions that are not really uh, like typical. They're a bit different They're uh, She has a few wines from Lebanon. So like, I want to highlight that and maybe have a conversation. Like, why did you decide to go that route? How do you choose your wines? You know, like, so it's not just uh, wineries. It's not just producers. It's not just tell me your story and how you got into wine. Yeah. It's also um, history. Like I have an episode about the, the temple of Bacchus in Balbak here in okay. Lebanon. I have an episode about Abu Nawas, uh, who is a Persian Iraqi poet who used to write uh, poetry about wine, although he was like a, a student of the Quran and um, wow. yeah, he's like a total hedonist bisexual. Yeah. So like it's, it's these kind of things that are very relevant to where we are, yeah. but not just wines and wineries, but also like wine adjacent. Are there any um, big podcasts that talk specifically on like the history of wine and kind of the, the storyline behind there? Yeah, there are there are a lot of podcasts that talk about wine in general, um, wine like the wine world, the wine of Europe, the wine uh, profession, sommeliers. So there's a lot of that. Mm. But as far as I know, there isn't really um, there's a missing piece to all of those stories. Like they might have episodes about you know Georgia or Lebanon or yeah, Chateau but they don't have um, one kind of like it's funneled there. Yeah. So I felt like. I understand. Was- uh, do, are there records? Are there historical like records? You actually want to get first party data about the actual, is anywhere you can access this or is it, is it just a lack of records? You mean about wineries? Like, like wineries or-, or, or the history of wine in specifically in the region? Like, you know, is there kind of like, I'm sure like in France, for example, I'm sure there's like, databases or is there some kind of history that you can kind of you know easily find how about in lebanon specifically well lebanon from at least the records that i've dug through uh, a lot of it is based on the jesuits um yes okay. collection. there 
archives. Um, and then, of course, like newspapers and whatnot. Unfortunately, a lot of the newspapers are either in Arabic or French, so I have a yeah. bit of trouble through those. Uh, I was planning like a weekend of just camping out at AUB's library yeah. uh, at Jaffa just to go through their microfiche, like try and see what I could find if there was any like, you know, things that I didn't know about. Um, but the universities and their journals, as well as like Maingate magazine and their alumni magazines that they've been publishing since the early 1900s yeah. are great resources of just like cultural things. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm sure like you're probably like me where when you get an issue, you would just kind of like toss it to the side. Yeah, it wasn't like <laughs> alumni magazine is like us, whatever. Um, but only recently I was going through them and like, I realized how much we were kind of neglecting. They're yeah. very good source good writing, yeah. good research. I have a so, question. Have you ever thought about, I don't know, producing your own wine? Is that, is that, is that in the thought bubbles? Um, I, I mean, I've been, people have spoken to me about it. Uh, my dad has talked about it. I yeah. think just for the sake of like, having an interesting project or something. Yeah. I don't think I'm qualified for that yet. Why? Um, well, the Rock, just, the Rock has his own tequila. John Aykroyd has his own vodka, right? <laughs> What's his name? George Clooney uh, sold his. Was it? Was it his tequila or what was it? He sold for a billion. Uh, what's called Dead? What's called Deadpool has his own gin. Wolverine has his own. I don't know coffee. I don't know. What, so why not? What yeah, makes, yeah. What makes them extra? It's expert? not impossible. It's not impossible. I can, you know, you can work with consultants. You can work with winemakers. Um, I know many I've been asked like it, it's not it's not something that is parched or like impossible it's just not something I want to do yet um, I'm not I I like being the the neutral piece between everybody rather okay. than because once you have your own yeah you become a player as well yeah. and I don't I don't really want to do that no, I'm not saying ever, but like right now, because I feel like the there is this piece missing of someone who can tell or at least like play a role between everybody. Okay. Um, not not to like toot my own horn or say like I'm yeah. more important than that. Kind of what I'm trying to do is um, you know be a neutral source for all these different stories. Or like if you want to find a wine and you need help and you don't know who to ask. And ask me i'm gonna try and be as objective as possible you're trying like, to you're trying to give knowledge and value basically and trying to not to have a biased game in it especially be Lebanon. it's it's a very small market it's a small country yeah. it's hard to find um you know a source where you can get information that isn't related to a winery or or you know like a brand ambassador for a yeah. particular winery yeah. And that's that's also to bring it back to the podcast. That's kind of the the issue with sponsorship is like I don't want to be sponsored by a winery, um, because I just I don't want to be because then by then if you ever have to say anything critical about them, you kind of have to check yourself and then oh if I say anything like that oh well they pull their sponsorship yeah. or I lose sponsorship money whatever. Free to speak about the industry as is, and um, so that's why sponsorship with wineries is a difficult thing. And then yeah, I understand. I mean, it also goes back to how podcasts as a medium is just not something that has been um, understood yet. Yeah. So 
um, I think the advertising world hasn't really tapped into it yet. They're just now starting to talk about it. Oh, even, um, even here, like even here, for example, what you have at one point something million people in the UAE list to podcast. Uh, the, the advertising world is still very, very new. So I think we're I mean, all that, trying to figure it out. Is it something you would want to get into? Like, I, I don't even know if it's worth it as far as monetization, like uh, paying per play or I mean, like, is it... And then, how much are they going to control your content? Uh, I mean, I even if you look at the podcasts outside, right? Let's say, let's say, takes, let's say for example, Joe, because he's like you know one of the biggest. He he basically makes his money from pre rolls, right? If you if you listen to it, so funny enough, people don't know this is people always ask us how does Joe Rogan make money on his podcast? If you go on YouTube, he doesn't do the pre roll ads there. He doesn't. I think if you go on Apple, for example, you listen, he'll have a whole first like minute of just pre roll ads. I'm like. I'm like, are the pre-order lags really that great? Maybe, for example, I've bought something from a podcast because they had a discount code that then I utilize. So maybe there is something there to it. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm still, I'm still trying to grasp uh, the way around it. I like, uh, I think uh, Zayn is on, I don't know if she's still here, but she had a great post and she was talking about how Malcolm Gladwell was hired by Lexus create a branded podcast for them that was a cool way to, to go about it but it wasn't it wasn't malcolm gladwell's podcast it was a podcast curated by him for lexus so that was a yeah, way they went about it yeah he was also the host of it you know i'm sure he produced mm -hmm. it. i think i'm sure they just paid him like a lump sum i mean episodes whatever that's a cool way of going about it as a brand i don't know in terms of the pre-rolls or this podcast is brought to you by i'm still trying to i'm trying to see yeah, where i would sit like you said, the the Gladwell route, because at least then your your content isn't at risk of being you know manipulated or you have to follow yeah. some kind of rule. Like yeah. the the fact that I'm not being I'm not making money off of my podcasts, both of them right now, is that yeah. you have freedom to do sure. whatever you want. I mean, yeah, if you look at Joe Rogan, for example, he, when he had Jack Dorsey on from Twitter, he got a lot of shade because Jack Dorsey also owns the Cash App, which sponsors Joe Rogan. People are like, oh, maybe you weren't as critical as you were against him because of that. So there's a lot of like, that's where things get a bit, you know, controversial. Exactly. It's hard to uh, find that balance between like, not selling out, but like, you need to pay for what you're yeah. putting out and there. Losing any authenticity in the process. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Ever thought about maybe bringing in your skills there. together? Like, so, you, you know, you're, you're, you're learning as much as you can about wine and you also, you know, marketing really well. And you also even know the distributor side well because of, of, of your background. So you kind of have all these different pieces of knowledge. Ever thought about bringing together as a service, like to wineries, yeah, to stuff like that? That would be, that'd be really cool. Be like, hey, I know, I, know, I know basically what to do in store. I know exactly how to market. I know yeah. uh, whatever content. I know wine. Yeah. Well, yeah, I checked all the boxes. Ever thought about that? Yeah. It was something I was toying with um, pre-corona, okay. obviously. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about of like how to maybe be a uh, representative or something like a sa not sales rep but something like that. Oh, where like a wine consultant. I, I don't know. Call it something. Something. I, I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what you would call it at this point. But um, yeah. I was going to focus on the US because I mean it's just easy for me to come and go, and I'm I'm a citizen there, and I yeah. go often enough, and language barrier is not a thing. So I wanted to maybe use what i had already built between the podcasts and the classes and the content that i'm putting out there and take it there and use it as a way to help wineries here further market themselves to new customers so it could be a service that maybe is offered to distributors that they're working with there 
okay, we have our sales rep who's going to go and like, you know, do trainings or maybe offer um, things in store where you're selling our products. You know, like it was some kind of partnership between, uh, in a sense, a middle woman between the wineries and the distributors abroad. Um, but like it was like what you were saying, where you needed, you need someone pushing the product once it's on the new shore. Yeah. So who's going to do that? Um, the wineries have the budget and don't have the time, don't have the whatever. And then they're also like, they're going to promote their own products, maybe yeah. not Lebanon. Yeah. Um, so you need that neutral source to go do that. Yeah. So that was something I was thinking about. It was something I wanted to investigate. Uh, my plans were that I was going in May to Chicago yeah. to test it out and go to the different cities across the Eastern seaboard. And, and see Corona like, ruined it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to test what was... Um, what what was missing in the chain what was necessary wh where i could play a role uh what i could create out of that it was definitely just like a research trip yeah. um, and then yeah now it's on so i'm not sure like i'm not sure how things are going to go once we come out of this because uh, yeah even the wineries are being quite hit like they're they've oh, been sure. hit by all of this and the economic crisis beforehand the banks and all of these different, you know, layers. Yeah, lots of, of lots of unknowns. So hopefully, uh, yeah. see what happens. Anyway, I think we have to start wrapping up because we're getting close to that Instagram time limit. Uh, thanks. Uh, and uh, yeah, I want. Uh, where can people uh, reach out? Where can people first of all reach out to you, and then also find your podcast? Um, so you can reach out to me on Instagram or through email or through website. I have all the links on my profile. Cool. So if you're watching this, just click on my name. It's all there. Yeah. And for people listening on Apple, Spotify, you'll see the links. All the links are going to be in the description. Yeah. yeah. A Better Beirut and B for Bacchus. They're Very on cool. all the platforms. Awesome. Easy to find. Guys, make sure to check it out. They're, they're really interesting uh, podcasts. I really do enjoy it. I am from the region, but even for people who are not, it's, I guess it gives you a bit of insight of what's happening in both you know, two different kinds of uh, you know, atmospheres. For this podcast, uh, for those who are listening on Apple and Spotify, you can find the podcast itself on YouTube as well. So in case you guys want to see the video aspect of it, or you can just you know, keep listening to audio. I'm Digital Hoos. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, basically everywhere. Just search Digital Hoos. you find me. I'll put all the links. So make sure to subscribe. Drop that feedback. Basically it. Anyway, uh, Instagram, we're going out. Thanks for being here. Love you. Wait, man, I've been itching just to set them straight. All you new comers straight men and made. I've been in the kitchen oven 500 centigrade. You looking cute, trying to surf up on your microwave.